Well, we're looking at the topic, what is baptism today? So this is, of course, an important subject for us as Christians. We all know of baptism. And if we're members of the church, of course, then we ourselves have been baptized. And we know that it's something we do as Christians. But what is baptism all about? I mean, is this something that you really know and understand? You know, could you tell someone, you know, oh, this is what baptism means. This is what it's about. Or what, what if an unbeliever asks you about it? Would you be able to explain it to them in a way that would be helpful, in a way that they might understand? So what is baptism? That is, that is our subject this afternoon as we continue to look at the Westminster Catechism. And it's important for uh, all of these catechism questions are things that are basics, really, of our faith and that we need to understand and be able to explain to people. So let's confess question 94. That's the question where it introduces baptism to us. Of course, we've already had some questions about the sacraments in general, how they work, how God uses them. But this is where we begin looking at baptism. So let's confess together question 94. What is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost does signify and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. It's supposed to be our engagement to be the Lord's. Anyway, uh, okay, uh, let's look briefly at what this answer tells us. Okay, look at some of the components of it. First, a sacrament. What is is a sacrament? Now, we should know something about that. A sacrament is something that portrays God's work. How? Through our senses, right? Like touch and uh, sound and uh, sight and, and that sort of thing, taste. With baptism, it's washing that is portrayed to us. That the washing away of our guilt and our rebellion, which is portrayed by what? Washing with water. So it's a symbol. And then it shows that as those who have come to Christ to be saved, we're engrafted into him. Okay, we're, we're engrafted into Christ because we're baptized into him, into his name. We're joined to his body, as it were, by baptism, so that we receive the benefits that God has promised to us in his covenant, forgiveness of sin and a new heart. Now, the way that that baptism is effective is only when we have faith joined with the symbol, like the two go together. And our baptism reminds us that we now belong to him, and so we are to serve him forever. So those are the things you see that make up this. You saw that you see that last part: our engrafting into Christ, partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace, and our engagement to be the Lord's. So that last one, our engagement to be the Lord's, we're we're uh, responsible. Our, we have a engagement, a trust that's given to us to be the Lord's, to belong to Him. We are associated with Him. Now, I'll endeavor to explain this and to support it from the Bible so that you can better understand what baptism is. We already had our first scripture reading from Ezekiel 36, and I'm going to be referring to it as we go along. But now I want to have a New Testament scripture reading as well. This reading will be from Mark's gospel. And I'm going to read from the beginning part 
and the end of Mark's gospel because, interestingly, Mark begins and ends with baptism. He talks about it in both places. That's not the only thing he talks about, but it, it, it's uh, what we find in Mark at the beginning and end. So please give your attention now as I read to you. I'm going to begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Here's the word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Of course, that's talking about John the Baptist, isn't it? The messenger that goes before the Lord, before Christ. The, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now let me just mention briefly here that John was told to dress like that because he was preaching in the wilderness. The idea is that the people were barren and that they needed a savior, and God was showing them. Even though they were his people, they didn't have fruit, and they needed a savior to come to cleanse them from their sin. So washing with baptism, right? It was symbolized by baptism so that they could become fruitful the way it talked about in our reading from Ezekiel. So this is John was then in this uh, clothing that was suitable to a wilderness time. And he preached saying, this is John still, and he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And there we'll end that reading from Mark and go to the end of Mark, the chapter 16 and beginning in verse 9, where you will again see baptism mentioned. So this is, of course, Jesus goes on here. He's introduced in Mark 1. He goes on with his whole ministry and he does all of the miracles and things and the you know preaching and teaching. And then you have him uh, going to the cross and then being raised up again. And then we come to the end and we have baptism again. Mark 16, verse 9. I'll begin in verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. <clears throat> And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will be by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And that's how the gospel of Mark ends. And there we will end the reading of, our, of the word of God from the New Testament. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Isn't it interesting the way Mark begins? He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how he begins. He just jumps right into it. Remember I told you about that when we studied Mark a while ago that Mark doesn't mess around. He just goes, okay, this is what I'm talking about. You know, the others kind of build up to it in a way. He just says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's right into Jesus' ministry, introducing him right here in the first chapter. So he says that, and then he starts talking about John the Baptist. Okay, the beginning of the gospel, and then describing John the Baptist. He describes the ministry of baptism that John was given, calling that the beginning of the gospel. John's baptism, why would that be the beginning of the gospel? The word gospel, you know, means good news, and it's used in the Bible to refer to the good news that God has sent Jesus to save us from our sins. And just as the Christian life begins with baptism, so Mark begins the telling of the good news of God's salvation with baptism. But we are hardly even told what baptism is. He just talks about it. Just that John was doing it is what he says. This is why, this is the way it is in the rest of the Gospels also. We're just told that people were being baptized by John in the wilderness. We're not told what it is. That is because baptism was something that people already knew about from the Old Testament. These were all people that were Jews that had, were familiar with the Old Testament. And so that's where I want to begin. Okay, the Old Testament shows us that baptism is a ceremonial or ritual washing that symbolizes a spiritual washing. Baptisms were done all the time in the Old Testament. God appointed ceremonies there to represent cleansing, and these included what Hebrews 9 verse 10 calls various washings. Now that word washings in Hebrews 9, 10, if you look that word up, you'll find, or look in the margin perhaps, you'll see that that word is literally baptisms. It's the word baptisms. So they had, Hebrews 9 is saying they had all kinds of washings in the Old Testament. The Greek word is baptismos. So again, baptisms. Here are a couple of examples of baptisms in the Old Testament. And we could give a lot, but these are just a couple of them. Uh, First, there were the baptisms that the priest had to have when they came before God. Because, you know, they were sinners too. They were defiled. And the priest was supposed to be pure. And so he had to have a ceremonial bath to say, 
see this guy, you know, he's a sinner just like everybody else, but we're going to put water on him and clean him up. <laughs> and then he can come into his, his, his service because, you know, we're, we're all defiled by sin. So there was this huge washing bowl at the tabernacle that they had to, um, to dip water out of to cleanse themselves in various ways. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 18, it says, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base and also with, with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they have to have this symbol on them. So verse 21, so they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die, and it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Now Levites were also to be uh, ceremonially uh, washed by sprinkling with water. In Numbers 8, 6, and 7, it says, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially or ritually, you see, with these visible washings with water. Thus you shall do to them and cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, water that cleanses, in other words, and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Time would fail me to tell you about all the ceremonial washings that uh, of lepers, of persons who came into contact with a carcass, and many other baptisms that are mentioned in the Old Testament. The Jews, by the tradition of their fathers, had added additional baptisms to the ones that God had given them so that when they came in from the market, they had ceremonial washings and they would wash pots and, and cups and their hands in a ceremonial way. We read about them washing their hands. It's not talking about for hygiene per se, but it's talking about a spiritually symbolic washing from defilement ceremonially kind of thing. Now, the point is, when John came baptizing, nobody had to ask what baptism was. Like, why, why is he sprinkling water on these people? What's he, what's he up to here? Because they already knew about it. It was something that had been done for, for years, these ritual washings. So they ask, what did they ask? They ask, why is John baptizing? They, 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 uh, baptism itself was something that they were already familiar with. Anything that was brought before God or used in his service needed to be baptized because God is holy and we're polluted by sin. But that's not the only way that baptism was known from the Old Testament. God had also promised a special baptism that would begin when the Messiah came under the new covenant. You know, in the Old Testament, God had promised that there would be a new covenant. And with that, he said there would be a baptism involved. And if you turn to the passage we read earlier, Ezekiel 36, I can show you that. The situation is described in verse 17, Ezekiel 36, 17. The people of Israel, God's people, had defiled themselves with idolatry. They were serving idols instead of God. So gods that they made up in their own head that were not the true God. 
And God was angry with them for this. They had become filthy in God's eyes by their sin. Verse 18 says that he was very angry with them. And verse 19 says that he scattered them among the nations in his anger. So he was dealing with them to chasten them. They were filthy in his eyes because of their sin, and God could not tolerate them in the land. But he made promises that he would be their God and that they would be his people. So he does not just throw them out without plans to bring them back because they're his people and he's not going to forsake them. The prophets told the people that God was going to bring them back to the land and that when he did, he would make a new covenant with them. Jeremiah had said that in the new covenant, God would do a couple of things that he would forgive all of their sins. and Remember their iniquity no more. And he said that he would give them a new heart so that they would obey God again. This he quoted in this is quoted in in Hebrews eight as the new covenant. Okay, so that's what God would do. He would in other words, he would change them because they they were his people. And uh, God would do this when Messiah came. And here in Ezekiel 36, God says that he's going to give them a baptism to cleanse them. Now, this is a ceremonial cleansing, right? Water doesn't really wash away sin, does it? But it's a picture of the washing away of sin so that we can get a handle on we're dirty and we need to be cleansed. It's just very simple. In verse 24, he says that he is going to bring them back to their land. And then in verse 25, he tells them about the baptism. He speaks about, he says, in Ezekiel 36, 25, then after I bring you back, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and all of your idols. Now, of course, again, the sprinkling of the water, it's just a ceremonial washing, isn't it? This doesn't really get rid of sin, but God promises that the outward ceremonial will represent a true change that he brings about by the cleansing that his Holy Spirit does of his people. A new birth by the Holy Spirit will bring true repentance to his people so that they will obey him. Remember what kind of baptism did John preach? A baptism of repentance and remission of sins. Those are the things that baptism represents. Look at how he explains it in this passage in Ezekiel 36, in verse 26. What does he say? The Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Very clearly talking about the new birth by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 27, it goes on. I will put my spirit within you. So it's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, and cause you to walk in my statutes. Spirit will change you. And you will keep my judgments and do them. So a regenerate person is someone who comes to walk with God again because their heart has changed. They're born again by the Holy Spirit, and now they serve God. It doesn't mean they serve him perfectly in this life, but it means that their whole orientation has changed so that before they were not one of God's people. They were in rebellion going against him, and now they've turned back 
to follow the Lord. And he, he forgives them and he cleanses them. And so the Jews were expecting and looking for a great baptism when the Messiah came. This is something they were looking forward to. When the Messiah comes, there's going to be a baptism that goes on in association with that. And most of them expected the Messiah to come when he did, when Jesus actually came. Daniel's prophecy had specified that he would come in 70 weeks or 77s of years, 490 years. So expectations were very high when Jesus came. The Jews were all saying, this is the time for the Messiah to come. Are you the son of David? You know, they were all looking for that. And then when John comes baptizing, like we saw in Mark, and in John's gospel, we're told that the Jews also did not ask him what baptism meant. They knew that, but they asked why he was baptizing if he was not the Messiah. And John told them that he wasn't the Messiah. So they said, why then are you baptizing? That's what the Messiah is supposed to do when he comes. And John explains it. He explained that he was the one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah with the sprinkling of water, right? The ceremony that was done, but that the Messiah was the one that would baptize with the Holy Spirit. He is the one that would bring cleansing from sin, forgiveness of sin by his death on the cross, of course, ultimately, and also the, uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit to change our heart that was so clearly spoken of in Ezekiel 36. So John said, I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What I'm doing symbolizes what he does. And in a way, as we saw earlier, that it kind of, it, it, God uses the giving of the symbol that often he works at the same time through the Spirit to actually bring the, the blessing to us. So with John then, we see the beginning of baptism. Un, with John the Baptist, we see the beginning of baptism under the new covenant. Now, let's look at that. The beginning of baptism under the new covenant is described in Mark 1. John the baptizer is the one God sent to initiate the new covenant by baptism. Mark describes John's baptism as the beginning of the gospel. And again, that's an interesting description. It shows that John's baptism was the initiation of the new covenant, which had the promises of the gospel. It's like the good news is right here at hand. That's what John kept saying. The kingdom, the, the new covenant kingdom is here right now. And what's John's baptism called? Look at verse 4, Mark 1, 4. You can see that it's called, I mentioned this earlier, a baptism of repentance for the remission or the forgiveness of sins. It was a washing that represented repentance, people turning back to God, that God had promised to give his people in the new covenant. John commanded them to repent, to realize that they were sinners who needed to be cleansed. And that's why they would come to be baptized. They said, yeah, I am a sinner. Yeah, I do, need to, I do need to be changed. I do need to turn from my idols. I do need to serve God. And God granted repentance to many by taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh through John's baptism. John washed their bodies with water to declare to them God's washing of their hearts and lives from sin and defilement. Notice what the people are said to have done when they received John's baptism. John, uh, look, look at verse 5, Mark 1, 5. They came to him in the wilderness to be baptized. It says, doing what? Confessing their sins. They came acknowledging that we are dirty and defiled and that we need to be washed by God. 
and then that they needed to be forgiven and that they needed to be purified, confessing their sins. That's how they came. This is what a person is saying when they come rightly to be baptized. If we bring our children to be baptized, we're saying, my child is born in sin. I've given them my sin, Father Adam's sin. We've passed down to my children. This child needs to be cleansed. This child needs forgiveness. This child needs the renewing of the Holy Spirit. When an adult comes to profess their faith and believe, when they didn't grow up in a home and were not baptized, where they were baptized, then that one comes forward and says, I am defiled. I am a sinner. I need to be cleansed. And they receive the washing with water. I'm a filthy sinner and I need the Lord to wash away my sins. I'm putting myself into the Lord's hands to wash me and cleanse me in all of the ways that I need to be cleansed to be one of his people. That's what you're doing at baptism. You're saying, Lord, wash me and cleanse me all the ways I need to be washed and cleansed so that I can belong to you, so that I can come into your kingdom and I can live there in your house forever. So John made it clear that it was the coming Lord who would do the true washing. In verse 7 and 8, we have his familiar testimony about this. And this is Mark 1, verse 7. Talking about John the Baptist again. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. By saying, I baptize you with water, John is saying, I'm doing the ceremonial part. Sprinkling clean water upon you that Ezekiel talked about. That's my task. The ritual washing of your bodies with clean water in God's name. John is not the one who will give them a new heart of obedience, is he? Can John do that? Can, John, can they come to John and he can give them a new heart? No, he can't do that at all. That's the work of another. He is not the one who will wash away their sins. He says that the great spiritual work will be done by the one whose sandals he is not worthy to loose. He says, I baptize you with water, but he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I do the ceremony and he does the work in your heart. John was the greatest of all the prophets up until that time. And yet John says the greatest of all the prophets up until that time. That's what Jesus, how Jesus referred to him. He says, I'm not even worthy to loosen the strap on his sandal. And if you know about that time period, that was something that the Jews didn't even require a Jewish slave of the lowest kind to do. It was, such a low, it was thought to be such a humble, lowly task that only Gentiles could be required to loosen your sandal strap for you. I don't know why they particularly saw that as such a demeaning thing, but that was the way it was looked at. So John is using this to say, like, this is, I'm not even worthy to do that. Like, it would be too high of a thing. For me to do that to him. He's showing that Jesus is in a whole different league from him. John can only do a ceremonial washing. That's all us preachers can do. We can do the outward ceremony. I can't change anybody's heart. That's, that's only something that, that God Almighty can do. So John says, I'm not worthy to perform this lowly task, but the one who's coming is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 9 through 11, Mark 1, 9 through 11, we're told that John baptizes Jesus. This was surprising to John, and it, it is surprising, isn't it? Jesus has come, though, you see, to represent the sinful nation of God's people who had become defiled by their sin and idolatry. Jesus has come to bring forgiveness 
to his people and repentance, new birth, change of heart so that they can serve God. By being baptized, Jesus shows that the whole church that he has come to represent is in need of cleansing from all of their sin by him. He is taking responsibility for the sins of his people so that in that way he is defiled. He never sinned himself, but our iniquities were put on his account and he represents us all. Two wonderful things happen at Jesus' baptism to show that Jesus will accomplish the true cleansing of his people. First, he has a visible display of the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove and coming upon him like a dove. He is the Christ, which means, you may remember, the anointed one. It's the word in the Old Testament, Messiah. It means it's anointed one, Messiah, Christ. Those are all synonymous terms. And the one who is anointed with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is like oil that comes upon us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and he changes us when he comes. And as the receiver of the Spirit, Jesus will be the one who baptizes with the Spirit. God's people needed the Holy Spirit in this way. And so Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit in order to give the Holy Spirit to his body. It's like we're, we've seen in Psalm 133 with Aaron. The oil is poured on his head. He's anointed with oil representing the Holy Spirit. And it goes down all the way to the hem of his garments. The second thing that happens is that God the Father declares from heaven that Jesus is his son and that he is pleased with him. So Jesus himself is not filthy and defiled by sin like we are. But he is the one who has come to cleanse us and to wash away our sins. He is able to do it because the Father is pleased with him. There would never been anyone else that God was really pleased with in the way that he was pleased with Jesus. Because all others, he can only be pleased with them through cleansing that comes through Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus, was, he was pleased with him for exactly who he was. He will go to the cross to be punished for the sin of us all. And he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and he and we will be cleansed from all of our filthiness and all of our idols, like it says in Ezekiel. And so thus far, we have seen the roots of baptism in the Old Testament. And now we have seen the beginning of baptism in the new covenant with John. And now, thirdly, I want to show you the continuation of new covenant baptism right on into our day until the until the Lord returns. So please now go to the end of Mark's gospel, that second reading that we did in chapter 16. And you can follow along with that. Uh, Here we see the risen Lord Jesus commanding the gospel to be preached and promising that those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will will be condemned. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to preach the gospel to dogs and things like that when it says uh, every creature and ants on the sidewalk, that sort of thing. But what it, what it means is it's a, it's a strong way of saying that we need to go to every single person with the gospel without exception. It's a, a, a symbolic way of saying that. Notice, first of all, that baptism is to continue. Okay? 
is it wasn't just the ministry of John. But it is the ministry ongoing of Christian ministers from the apostles on into the future. They're all to baptize with water, pointing to Jesus who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And those who believe the gospel, the good news that there is complete cleansing from sin through Jesus who was crucified. If people believe the good news, the baptism shows that there is complete washing away of sin and defilement. They're to cast themselves, those who believe, cast themselves upon Jesus for that cleansing. It's not, not just for, it's not just undergoing the ritual, but it's looking to him for that cleansing. And those who are a child, someone that's baptized as a child, they're to grow up looking to Jesus for that cleansing, for that washing all their life long. This is how I have forgiveness of sin. A child that's baptized that doesn't know that, they're older and they're not resting in Jesus for the forgiveness. They don't have the washing. They just have the sign. I was talking about this a little bit before the service. If someone is in that situation, there's nothing wrong with the sign. What's wrong is their unbelief. And that needs to be brought to uh, completion. They are to be baptized. They in their household showing not that they are looking to baptism or some minister to save them, but showing that they're looking to Jesus Christ who died on the cross and who baptizes with his Holy Spirit. You're not going to get anywhere if you just look at the minister or, or a priest or something like that. He's, he's not going to be able to help you. He's not, he's not going to get that dirty heart clean or that forgiveness that you need. No, that's just a way of saying, this. God has appointed me to do this washing to, so that you can look to the one that does the washing. I baptize you with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Notice, secondly, that baptism is no longer just for Israel. Now the gospel is to be preached in all the world to every creature. I mentioned that before. God's promised cleansing from filthiness and idols is not just for Jews. It's for all the world. Maybe, they, maybe he said that partly because sometimes the Jews looked at other people kind of like a little bit lesser than people, a little bit like you know, animals that were out there or whatever. So now go, go to all those, um, th- those ones I told about, you know, that the... the uh, serpent and the um, the lamb and the you know, all, all, these, all these different creatures. No, just uh, the the Old Testament was full of promises that the gospel would come to the nations. It was always something that God said, and when Jesus commanded this, it was the time for that to happen, because Jesus had finished His work. The cleansing was there; it was ready, and it's like go and tell everybody what I did, the gospel, the good news, and give them this sign to show that they're cleansed too. This washing, to show that this transformation, this washing comes to them as well. I should mention thirdly, though it's not in this text, that in Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, the formula for baptism is given. That after Jesus finished his work and was raised again, he commanded that baptism be administered in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we use that formula. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in cleansing us from our sin. It is the Father who chose us to salvation. It is the Father who sent the Son, His only Son, to redeem us and who accepted the sacrifice of His Son for our sins. And it is the Son, of course, who did come in our flesh and who gave Himself for our sins and who gives us the Holy Spirit. So primarily, we are baptized in the name of Jesus. He's at the center of it. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are also included. It is the Spirit who connects us with the Son for salvation 
by giving us repentance and faith. He is the one who changes our hearts so that we will come to Jesus to be saved and with a desire to walk in his ways. So you see that baptism is to continue, that it is to be done for all nations, and that it is to be done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, uh, but why has the Lord given baptism to us? Let me summarize the reasons. First of all, he has given us baptism to show that we need to be washed. I've kind of talked about this along the way. By appointing a washing ceremony for all who come to him, he is telling us that we're all defiled by sin and we all need to be cleansed. God did not send his son because we were good people. He sent him because we were filthy, defiled people. And we need to get used to that. Like, we're just playing games if we pretend otherwise. I, I would not want to say I was something else because then there'd be no hope for me to change. I don't want to be stuck like I am. I want to be changed by God's grace and power working in me so that all the selfishness that's still in me, all, all that, I, w- I want to be cleansed by him. He sent him to save us from our sin. We cannot come to him or enter his kingdom unless he washes us. Baptism is given to us at the door, the entrance to his kingdom, because we must be washed to come in. Secondly, God has given us baptism to show us that he does wash us when we come to Christ. It's to assure us of that, to, to reassure us of that, maybe I should say. It's such an encouragement when you see that you're a sinner before God, that you're filthy and that you need to be washed. And then he gives you this symbol that he does wash you. He's saying, I do wash you. You need to be washed. I do wash you. This washing with water, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. Those are his assuring words to you. By baptism, you confess that you're a sinner who is looking to the cleansing that God promised through Jesus in the new covenant. In short, you say, I am defiled and I am looking to Jesus to cleanse me. So both of those things come together. I'm a sinner and I'm looking to Jesus to be cleansed from my sin. And when you're baptized, the Lord is saying, you are defiled and I cleanse you. Be clean, right? Through my son. A third reason he has given us baptism is to distinguish us from those who have not been washed. As with the sign of circumcision, he declares that he is our God and that we are his people And he marks that outwardly in the Old Testament. It was by circumcising the boys and the men. And in the New Testament, it's by the sign of baptism of both men and women. His people are the ones who have been cleansed by Jesus Christ. So they have a symbol of cleansing upon them. Now, of course, there are some who are baptized, but who do not believe. Okay, so those ones only have the sign, but they're not looking to Jesus for the cleansing. So they don't have the cleansing. These are not saved. What does Jesus say? It's right there in Mark. Mark 16, 16. He who does not believe will be condemned. Doesn't matter whether he's baptized. If he doesn't believe, he will be condemned. Baptism with water will not benefit such a person unless he believes. Looking to Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing. But baptism still as an outward sign testifies that only those who have been washed by the Lord are his people. Okay, so even though it's sometimes put upon a person who doesn't really believe, the sign still tells us that whoever does look to Jesus for washing will be washed in all the ways that are necessary. It's by the washing that Jesus gives that we are his people. It testifies to that. We are no one is, belongs to the Lord 
who has not been washed by him. That's why every single person that professes their faith should be baptized. The sign belongs to those who are in Jesus. From now on, then, we are to live for him as the people that he has dearly loved and made to be his own people through the uh, cleansing that comes through Jesus. So what should you do then with baptism? First and foremost, you should be baptized if you have not already done so. Surely you see that you are a guilty sinner like everybody else. And do you not also see that the Lord has promised to cleanse all who come looking to Jesus for forgiveness and looking to him for a new heart? God has promised to wash you. What could keep you from coming to such a savior? Are you going to try to wash yourself? What, you, what, you, what is your plan? Will you go on with being guilty and condemned and not worry about it? You're going to meet God one day and you're guilty and condemned and it won't matter. You don't care about that. Will you perish in your sin because you were too proud to come to him and uh, who graciously came to save sinners? What would be the reason for that? Do not delay any longer. The gospel is preached to every creature, as Jesus said, and that includes you. Do you not hear his voice? You need to be cleansed. I will cleanse you. I will sprinkle clean water upon you ceremonially and you will be cleansed as you look to me. Second, if you have been baptized, then you should be sure that you're looking to Jesus to cleanse you. Okay, are you? You've been baptized, but are you looking to him to cleanse you? Have you been baptized with water by a minister, but not by Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Well, you have the unimportant part. The, less, the much less important part. John wasn't even worthy to unstrap his sandal. He, he does the water part. If this is so, your baptism does not testify for you. It testifies against you. It tells of the cleansing that you need and still don't have. It stands upon you as a sign. This individual needs to be cleansed. And if you have not believed, you are not cleansed. I urge you then. Do not go to hell with your baptism condemning you. That would be a tragedy to be so close. The way is open for you. Jesus, look to Jesus and be saved. That's what you need to do. Your baptism is not complete until you believe. Third, if you have been baptized and if you are looking to the triune God to cleanse you, then draw comfort from your baptism. It's given to you as a testimony of God's faithfulness and that he has cleansed you so that you can rest in that. Let Satan condemn you all he wants. Let him tell you that you're a wretched sinner and tell, tell him that it's true. Say, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, but I've been washed by Jesus Christ, that his blood has atoned for all your sin. Tell him that, that, that by his stripes, by the stripes of Jesus, that you were healed because he loved you and gave himself for you. Tell Satan that there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Tell him that the Holy Spirit has given you a new heart and that he has sealed you for the day of redemption that you might walk with God for the rest of your life. Tell him that the Holy Spirit will continue the work that he has begun in you until he completes it at the last day, that he will not fail. Tell him that it is not you or some minister who cleanses you, but the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Take comfort in your baptism. If you are looking to Jesus, you are washed just as surely as your body was washed with water. 
so your your heart has been renewed by the Holy Spirit and you have been forgiven of your guilt before the Lord. Fourth, encourage your friends about their baptism. Encourage believers in the way that I just sought to encourage you. Tell them of the certainty that comes from having God's pledge that he has washed them. If they're walking around all guilty and defiled, say, why are you? You're baptized. You know, rest. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be cleansed from your sin. Don't go around feeling that you're lost and undone. And with those who have been baptized, check to make sure that they are looking to Jesus to cleanse them by faith. Call them out on it if they're not. Those that need to be baptized, tell them that they need to be they need to come to him. Those that have not comfort them in what they have received. And finally, let your heart be filled with gratitude that you have been cleansed. If indeed you have. Think where you would be if the Lord had not cleansed you. Where would you be? What would your destiny be? Be glad in him. Give thanks to him and lay down your life for him. Baptism tells you that he belongs to you and that he is there for you. It also tells you that you belong to him. Our engagement to be the Lord's, right? Pour out your life for him in thanksgiving. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Put off the old man and put on the new man that is being renewed in his image. And do it by his grace. Baptism tells you to do it by His grace. You can't do it in your own strength. He's the one that does the cleansing. Run the race because He is your Savior. Please stand and let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you so much for giving us a sign, a sign in which you have spoken to us and said, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. We thank you so much for this powerful sign and for what it what the promise that is back of it. We thank you, O Lord, that the water tells us that Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin. He who gives us the Holy Spirit who changes our heart. He who washes away our guilt by his blood that was shed on the cross so that we're no longer defiled by our sin. Lord, we pray that we would know the powerful working of your grace and of your Holy Spirit and of Jesus' blood. We pray, Father, that we would be transformed and that we would grow more and more in our assurance and confidence of the cleansing that we have, that our gratitude of that cleansing would increase, our gratitude for your kindness in exhibiting it to us even with the sign of baptism, And we pray that in our confidence then that we would serve you with boldness and that we would be eager to grow and to see you continuing to work in our lives in the powerful way that you began. We pray, Lord, that we would yearn for your work in our lives, that we would not be content with a maybe God is working in my life, but we would be eager to see the fullness of your spirit working in us, O Lord, and upon us. O Lord, help us as a corporate people together even that all of us would be crying out to you, Lord, for we live in times when we do not see the powerful working of your hands so much in the lives of your people. We are a lethargic people. We are a weak people. But Father, you can change that. And we look to you with eyes of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in your spirit and in your promise, O Father.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's sing that very well-known psalm, Psalm 23. Now, His blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.